Welcome everybody to episode six of Heart of the Bookkeeper. I'm Rob Marshall and this is a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. Today's guest is a wonderful lady. Her name is Alexi Boyd and she's a real thought leader and a real goal kicker when it comes to small business and the bookkeeping community here in Australia. Today we hear all about Alexi's journey into the bookkeeping world but also the fact that she is such an innovator when it comes to small business and her own podcast, Small Biz Matters, has really, really impacted and is one that we're going to recommend that you tune into also. Alexi talks about her battles with postnatal depression and also imposter syndrome. But we also have a bit of fun with learning about her time in the world of ballerinas and how do you get the most perfect hair bun when you're in that zone. So sit back and enjoy the wonderful story of Alexi Boyd. I hope that you'll find somewhere to invest in this story today. And we look forward to you listening to episode six of Heart of the Bookkeeper. Enjoy. Alexi Boyd is Australia's leading small business radio presenter, experienced panel facilitator, event host, and, right in my hitting zone, a podcaster, a skilled communicator with deep SME experience. Alexi knows what makes small business tick and how to get the message to the people who matter. Alexi Boyd, welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper. Thanks so much, Robert. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and I feel very chuffed and lucky to have been invited. Thank you. Absolutely. We we uh, we rejoice anybody who comes on Heart of the Bookkeeper. I'm really excited and really looking forward to this session that we're going to have. And Alexi, somebody for the listeners who uh, has extensive bookkeeping and small business skills to go along with her incredible um, time in the in the radio game and the podcasting game. So we're going to unpack lots today with Alexi, and I'm so so looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to being on the other side of the microphone, Rob, because normally it's me who asks the questions. So this is going to be an interesting experience. It is, yes. So let, let's, right from the get-go, let's kick that off. Um, uh, you guys who are tuning into Heart of the Bookkeeper, if you haven't come across Small Biz Matters yet, then uh, you know, you clearly need to go and search that in iTunes or Spotify or whatever is your preference for uh, your podcasting formats because Small Biz Matters, there you go, you got to uh, wrap your tongue around it, but um, is an excellent podcast. I ate breakfast this morning while listening to one of your episodes, and I'm going to call it out straight up, episode 195. Go and listen to it, Small Business People of Australia. It was um, focused on digital solutions to jumpstart your business, and I couldn't, well, I, I had to stop eating my cornflakes at one stage because I was so enthralled. Um, <laughs> absolute quality stuff, Alexi Boyd. What? Tell us, what what is it that what is the passion behind the, the, the program and the, the podcast? Where, where does that come from? Uh, I think it came from the beginning when I didn't feel like anybody was really speaking for my small business community. So in Hornsby, where the, the show broadcasts from, we didn't have at the time a very strong chamber of commerce. Um, there was no economic development to speak of in council. If you rang up and tried to get advice, you would generally speak treated like some market stall holder. And I just didn't feel like um, anybody was representing the community in the way that it is so diverse and interesting and, and skilled and successful. So, you know, if you want something done properly, you do it yourself. And <laughs> I was invited to do uh, the show by the station manager who came to my little bookkeeping uh, um, uh, launch. I had a little party to set up my bookkeeping business. Mm. 
And she came along and said, listen, you can talk underwater, you should do radio. And, and I spent the next two weeks sort of going, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's so old school. <laughs> and uh, little did I know. And, uh, and then my husband spent two weeks saying, oh, you've got to do it. You know, maybe it'll get you to talk less about work if you're doing it on air and you won't have to talk to me about it. But um, he said it's quirky, it's different, you've got to do it, and it's better than just sending out a newsletter that nobody ever reads. So I kind of started it by with the intention to build my bookkeeping business, but it very quickly morphed away from that and it felt icky. Um, making it a sales thing. And instead it just turned into what I've always wanted to do, which is just talk to people and get mm. to know them and find out their stories. And quickly after a couple of years, I made some good connections with the ATO and I, I earned their trust, um, which was a really big deal actually. And their PR people gradually came to understand that it wasn't my intention to attack them or question what they were doing, but actually to celebrate it and to give them another platform where they could speak directly to small business and talk about all the good things that they were doing. And so yeah. from there that blossomed into other regulators, other parts of government, small business, and um, and it's just grown from there. And I think we clicked over 207 episodes last week or this week, I don't know where I'm at, um, but I, I'm really proud of um, of it because it, it did, was a passion project um, and I just stuck to it even in the times where I was going, oh, my God, what am I doing this for? What is it? <laughs> What's it going to gain for me? It's completely unpaid. It's volunteer. But if you do something for long enough and you enjoy it, it just becomes something that's a part of you, I think. I think um, for many of the listeners that sounds a lot like going into bookkeeping for the first time. You know, there's that period of time where you just wonder and I, we've interviewed quite a, a few heavy hitters, you might say, in the bookkeeping industry already through Heart of the Bookkeeper. And that's a common theme of, you know, what what am I doing and why am I here again? Somebody remind me of that, you know, what 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 is this about? But then there comes that moment of revelation and you just go, this is, this is why I did this and this is why I do it. And suddenly the rewards start to flow. And I'm going to keep going back to episode 195. The, the guy, um, I can't remember his name. I only listened to it this morning. Uh, Suresh or somebody, I think it was, you spoke to. But anyway, go and listen. His name Dinesh. was Dinesh, yeah. Dinesh, that's right, yeah. He he really was on the ball with um, talking about what we need to do as small business people coming out the other side of COVID and how different it is. We keep talking about the new normal, but th this episode, I'm going to really keep um, saying you need to go and tune into Small Business Matters and and. Start at episode 195 if you want to pick one out of, uh, out of the bar. <laughs> yeah, go backwards, yeah, then go back to one, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, his revelations were exceptional, weren't they? And that was what was quite interesting. I think um, I didn't go out there and immediately get PR companies to hit me with these sort of this sort of talent. It started with me going to networking events and going, oh, wow, what you do is really interesting and you can talk about it with passion and gusto and intelligence. Do you want to do it on radio? And people will go, what? That's, who does radio? Oh, that is a bit of fun and, you know, you can use it as part of your marketing material afterwards and you can share it, and, you know, and, and people really jumped onto that. So I think my first few people were just like I had the decluttering diva. 
who's in Hornsby. <laughs> she's hugely successful. Like she's been on the Today Show. I always laugh with those people and say, see, you start with community radio. I train you up in your media training and then you go on and you do the big the big boys. And, um, and just local lawyers and uh, local accountants. And it was just, you know, mm. just chatting. Um, yeah. And then uh, it, it grew so fast that in terms of the demand for guests to come on the program, once I got into that PR circuit, I mean, it blew out to three months uh, wait time yeah. to come on the show. So no, nothing's time sensitive, not because I can't do anything in a timely manner, but because it takes that long to get on the show. So I always get to sort of World Environment Day and go, oh, damn, I missed it again, or International Women's Day and, oh, I forgot that was coming up. And it's never yeah. time sensitive. So getting in with the PR companies was really valuable and it also meant that I could be choosy. So yeah. I could pick yeah. and choose uh, we, we, who, who was coming on the program and, and I got to reject people, which was very empowering. empowering. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not in that space yet. So uh, if you're out there and you'd like to uh, be a guest on Heart of the Bookkeeper, you could, you're probably still a, a really good chance of a gig right now. So <laughs> but the, the power and the passion of Alexi Boyd, we've already tapped into that. That's fantastic. So Alexi, look, we're talking in the present. I want to I go a little bit back into the past for you, if that's okay. Um, Hornsby, New South Wales is home now, but it, was, it hasn't always been home. And um, a revelation to me, I've known you probably about 18 months now, I reckon. I, I had no idea. You're actually born in Denmark. Now, for us West Australians, that's not Denmark here in Western Australia. Wow. This is, we're talking Copenhagen, Denmark. So... Tell me, yeah. So Danish parents or no. did they, did, were some Aussie parents that just happened to be in Denmark at the time? Or <laughs> they, yeah, I'm, I'm, an, I'm like an executive baby. Remember in the old days in the 80s and 70s where um, executives used to just be moved around from country to country and my dad worked for IBM at the time and he, um, they were, my, my parents were based in London, so dad's English, mum's Australian, and they were based in London and then they suddenly, they would just get moved all over the place. Hence, my next, you know, location of living was the south of France in a lovely little village called saint oh, Um So, you know, the first five years of my life where, well, I don't remember a great deal of it, but they were the most wonderful time for my mother, you know, living the mm. um, lavish lifestyle of, you know, basically the company paying for everything, which never wow. happens anymore. Um, and then she had to, they had to, you know, come back to Australia, which was a bit of a, um, a, a sad moment for her, but you know, the beginning of my schooling and um, living here. So do you retain any sort of feeling of connection with those places you grew up in? Uh, you know, what, what sort of age did you finally arrive back in Australia? Oh, it, look, um... I, was, I was five, so pretty, still right. pretty young. Yep. Um, I was yep. bilingual, but I'm not anymore. Um, right. And I guess I have an affiliation to Denmark. You know, I look at um, the Crown Prince and, you know, yeah. what could have been. No, it's joking. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. and so been um, in Tasmania at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like to talk about it. I think it's an interesting point, but there's probably yeah. not a connection there anymore, no. So then Sydney has been pretty much your home for the majority of the rest of the journey, is that correct? Or have yeah, you moved around no. a bit within Australia? Mm. Oh, no, Sydney's, Sydney's been home, um, apart from a little brief stint on exchange in the University of Texas in Austin. And, uh, of course, we did the comp compulsory living in London thing for three years where, where I was a teacher, actually. That's where I had my teaching um, career, which I burnt out of very quickly. I uh, was yeah. dance, drama and maths, which probably helped my bookkeeping later on. But, um, you know, I just came home and I was... 
I was done. I was so tired. So just started looking for other things and exploring other options and yeah. So was it was it the the math journey that sort of started to lead you in the direction of bookkeeping? What what was what's the origins of your, you know, entry into the bookkeeping game? It's uh, more of an admin. Um, I know a lot of people come in from the admin suite. So I, I managed to get a casual job at Fairfax in the data entry department. And because I had an internal job, um, someone suggested I go through an executive assistant work. So I was the EA to the head of magazines for a while, which was really interesting for three or four years. Then I had babies and I was, oh, women out there will know, then you, know, you stop for a period of time. And then um, uh, and a friend of mine was leaving a job with a marketing company as the office manager. And so I worked there for five years and they grew from three staff to 20. And in amongst that, I'm learning on the go when it comes to bookkeeping and doing their stuff in-house. Um, mm. And then after five years, I just thought, okay, well, what if I started doing this for myself and went and did my cert for? Mm. Yeah. So the, the driver was opportunity or was there a touch of, I really like this, you know, I'm feeling a little bit sort of a bit of passion here about what what the opportunity is here, not just the opportunity itself, do you think? Or was it just purely, I need to do something and bookkeeping presented? I don't know. I can't even remember why, when it, how it occurred to me. I mean, my husband has run his own business forever for the last 20 years. He's in video production. So I also was doing his bookkeeping. Yeah. And I think maybe I just sort of realized, well, what if I started doing this for other people? And look, you know, when you're with, when you're with a, uh, you're an, ex- an EA or something quite closely tied with the owner of a business, but working internally, eventually that relationship gets stale and I could see the writing on the wall. And, um, I didn't want to go back to corporate. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really want, I didn't want to look for a job. I didn't want a job. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, you know, why don't I start something myself as well? And we were in the position financially to be able to do that. And we didn't live in the most expensive area of Sydney. By then we were already living in Hornsby. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how it dawned on me. But I hated studying. Oh, my God, I'm so <laughs> bad at it. I, I just, it had been so long. And I'm, I, I toyed with the idea of doing an MBA um, right. or doing a, something in the arts. Um, like an MBA for arts or something. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, too hard. So I barely, I mean, I didn't, see, I didn't barely get through my cert four in terms of, in terms of the marks. That was fine, but I barely <laughs> got through it. Like, oh god, so hard. I just didn't want to do it. So we got there in the end. <laughs> so, so you were not calling out your cert four as being the best ten years of your life. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. And that, that that was said tongue in cheek, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, nailed it in the uh, uh, prescribed time. Um, yes. It's a fascination to hear every, every guest's reasoning for getting into bookkeeping and, and yours is is um, different again to somebody else's and that's the beauty of our community, I reckon, is everybody sort of has, we talk about the passion of the bookkeeper, but there's other mitigating factors that have led people to the pathway they end up in. We're not the stereotypical, you know, dad was a mechanic, so I'm going to be a mechanic or whatever. There's so many different and fascinating reasons why our members and our uh, community have got into bookkeeping and yours, yours is just as fascinating to me as anyone. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, it's a pleasure. I think it's one of those um, professions that it's it's almost like we're we're all paper mache, and it's a it's a blend of all of our experiences. That whether it be dealing with the local shopkeeper and understanding from small business from that perspective, or whether it be yeah. working in an office or being a teacher or or having parents who are bookkeepers or, or small business owners, I think it's just a mould of everything that we've gone through in life that makes a good bookkeeper. 
the the clear thread is the connection between bookkeepers and and their passion for small business or their connection with small business. And that's clearly where you've come from with your, now your husband is Hamish. Is that correct? Have I got that right? Yep. And, um, you know, I know clearly that's where my passion came from. My dad, you know, career small business owner, but it wasn't that I wanted to follow his, his steps. He was a farmer and a manufacturer. I didn't want to do either of those. But what I observed growing up clearly, clearly defined what I do now. There's no issue about that. And the, only yesterday here in, in the southwest of WA, I ran a big uh, face-to-face seminar and or two SMEs. And the passion in that room of when I opened up the question of how have you gone through this last year, you know, tears were there. You know, it, it is it is a it is a very passionate space, a small business space. And I think that's also what makes it different. It's it's humans. It's not a great yeah. machine of a faceless bunch of possibly people, possibly machines doing things. Um, everyone knows at the, at the end of the day that the owner is is a real human and the people that work for them and their families and they're all interconnected. Uh, and I think that's what the big difference is between big and small business. Yeah, no, it's spot on, absolutely spot on. So we touched on on Hamish, the husband, and then we've got um, two two children, Olivia and Abigail. So yes. you... Um, Ages are they teenagers or you? thirteen and fourteen? So yep, Third, all well, right, okay, the, um, right in the thick of it. Like <laughs> <laughs> you are right, okay. So um, yeah, as my mother keeps saying, she says, "Whatever you do, don't forget what it was like to be that age when you become a parent." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I'm. I mean. I'm blessed with uh, have having have had five boys and still have uh, four of them uh, living with us um, uh, on this planet and and I've just become a grandfather or a popper as they're calling me for the first time last week and uh, another boy so I haven't got to experience the you know <laughs> the whole um, you know learn how to braid girls hair or whatever you know <laughs> I've, I've lived in the in the in the boys and the men's land which is. A little bit sad for my wife, unfortunately. She's uh, she, she craved um, that girl experience and was hoping maybe that might happen with grandchildren, and that's still yet to come. Hopefully, so we'll see. But uh, <laughs> no doubt, we're, we're racking up the uh, the male part of the population at the moment. Um, look, one of the things that you have candidly shared with me, and I'm you know I'm not going to push you on it too hard. Hopefully, but I'd love to. I, I know that you had some deep challenges around postnatal depression after mm-hmm. having both children, I believe. So it, it's a, just it's, with Olivia, mainly with Olivia, right? Yeah. Okay, well, just with Olivia, yeah. Look, you know, it, it's a it's a real. Uh, you know, I know my wife as well um, had had similar had a similar journey. One in every seven women in Australia suffer from po- some form of postnatal depression after giving birth. So it, it's a it's a major um, a major scenario situation here in Australia that is probably overlooked often. Um, how did you find dealing with that? And you know, is there a yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little bit emotional because I saw what my wife went through with it. Um, how, how did you find that journey, I guess, is what I'm asking. Oh, look, it's just, it's horrendous for anybody who goes through any sort of mental health issues. Um, and I think what is a bit surprising is if you don't have a history of mental health, or well, I didn't think I did, but it turns out I did, um, it's a bit of a shock to the system. And we forget, you get distracted by mothering 
and distracted by all the things that happen in the day to day. And you don't, you're not aware, self-aware and you don't realise what's going on and how you're changing and, and how your behaviour or your attitude towards things is changing. So nothing for me was changing physically. And look, my first child was an amazing, you know, baby who didn't even seem to need me half the time. She was incredibly independent. But what I didn't acknowledge was the massive change that the hormones made made me go through. And, and I think it's really important that the way that I discovered and worked through it, and it did take about three or four years, um, was to recognise it as an external factor that was affecting me, much like, you know, a tooth decay or or something like some sort of disease that was coming into my system. And the moment you can disassociate, and you know, know all about this as well, Rob, is as soon as you can disassociate and see that as a, as a different beast, um, then then you can start to tackle it and, and treat it that way. The moment you put it on yourself and see it as your problem or something that you have ownership of, then, for, yeah, it, it's very difficult to tackle because then you're just attacking yourself. That was the way I approached it and that was the way that my um, psychologist helped me get through it. I didn't need to be med- medicated, thank goodness. Um, we caught it mm. and it, really it was just luck. The only reason we caught it was because... We were in England at the time visiting family, taking my um, eldest to go and see her grandmother. Mm. And we we were staying with friends in London who he uh, Hans happened to be a, a mental health nurse. Mm. Um, and they knew us from when we lived in London. And he turned around and said, yes, something's not right. She's, there's something wrong. It's, it does, it's not the same Lexi that we knew. And Hamish it, it himself was also sort of wrapped up in travelling and being a dad and we'd actually just found out at that point that we were pregnant again. So it was like, what? Um, mm. And uh, and luckily Hans arranged for one of his um, co-workers to come over and do an assessment with me and got to the end of it and went, yep, tick that box. You've got postnatal depression. What's your mental health action plan when you get home? And right from then it was like, oh, okay, well, we better put something into place because you, you drown in it and you don't realise what's happening for me, I didn't realise what was happening. I was like swimming in this fog of unknown and, and, and something that was really foreign to me. So, you know, you, you learn from these things and if it doesn't completely swamp you um, and you're able to see a light and get help um, and have supportive family um, and and if you're lucky, you know, you get to the back end of that and you can use it as, as a part of your armour. Um, from mm. that point forward. And so can those as well. So, mm. you know, it's a learning experience. It's just one of life's journeys, one of life's paths um, for me now. And I, I'm able to t- take a very um, practical look at it now, but back then it was horrendous, just horrible. Yeah. And, and that is the thing. I mean, um, oh, heaven forbid that I'm even slightly in a, in a space to be able to say I understand postnatal depression. Clearly I don't. I, I witnessed it, but I didn't, you know, obviously <laughs> yes. as a male, I didn't go through it. But having yeah, said that. It's so different for everyone. Different. It manifests yeah. itself differently yeah. and it, it morphed yeah. as well. And that was what was, you know, you'd get you'd get a handle on the condition or, or the way that it manifested itself and then it would flip on you and change and, and you're like, oh, my God, now I'm just this raging demon, whereas before I was this driveling mess you know, curled up on the floor rocking and now I'm this horrendous raging machine that is almost to the point of violent and it flips. And I think that people 
can try and assist, but sometimes even those who are closest to you can't can't recognise it. And even people who have been through it don't recognise it. It's just, it's a very individual journey, I think. And that seems to be a common thread is that a lot of people don't even realise that that's where they were at. I mean, you were fortunate that you had a specialist who, who was able to recognise some signs or identify a few things. But I think you know, the one in seven women is probably maybe even more than that because there are so many that don't go captured perhaps. Mm-hmm. But again, for me, you know, oh, I've shared my part of the journey. I mean, a lot of what we went through was through the, the you know, having a stillborn child and, and having losing, having lost a child and watching what my wife went through. And as a husband, you know, like you just said, that retrospectively I can see so many things that I didn't understand about it at the time that I probably understand a lot better now, even though it was a period of time where I don't think anybody really could, we just couldn't wrap our head around what had just yeah. happened, you know. Yes. So yeah. it is an individual experience. You're absolutely right. And, you know, we we celebrate the fact that you are, you know, on top of your game now, if you want to say that, not suggesting that you weren't, but um, you're yeah. in a better space, obviously. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Alexi, um, the, other, the other thing that um, you, you've recently revealed to me that definitely I can more closely associate with um, in, a, in a strange sort of way is imposter syndrome. Now, you... Perhaps you might want to help the listeners. Maybe a lot of the listeners don't understand what imposter syndrome is. And um, I'd love for you to tell us and me uh, a little bit about your journey with that as well. I think um, from a professional perspective, I think it comes from being isolated um, and unaware of what other people are doing. And the problem when you learn and do a quick little cert for, you know, and put that in, in your bag of tricks. And then you kind of expect to know what you're doing, but you don't really. And then mm. with the bookkeeping journey, um, every client has such unique and special and nuanced needs that they keep on getting thrown at you like little, you know, little bombs. And they come in and you go, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer to that is. And of course, you're a human, you go away, you research it, you figure it out. And when, as all of us are such good bookkeepers, we go, yep, I know what I'm doing now and I'm going to do it absolutely 100 million percent correctly mm-hmm. and go through that process. But I think over time it can become a bit overwhelming that you're constantly being given this new thing to solve that you don't understand and you go, well, how many things are going to come into my bag of tricks that I don't understand? This is constant and I feel like I don't know anything. And you forget about what you have learned. And I think it takes some time Uh, well, it takes two things. It takes time to understand and draw on the experience, the weird and wonderful experience that happened back then and say, oh, yeah, I've done that before, even though it was like four years ago and it was for a completely different client. I've got the bag of tricks and it's starting to become repetitive. But it takes time for it to be repetitive. And the other thing is isolation is really evil in in in, in this process because if you're not talking about your trials and tribulations with your fellow workers... Um, and people who are in the same position as you or even similar, labelled similar, then you can really feel like you're out on your own. Now, the other problem is you may explain that to people and they might be patronising and they mm. may go, well, you should know that. You're a, mm. you're a bus agent. You should know that. Like I hadn't done paid parental leave until three months ago. I've been in this mm. game nearly nine mm. years. How could mm. I not come across that? And it's about surrounding yourself with good people who are not 
going to be rude and obnoxious. And there are some people out there still, I would be sad to say, that still treat people with a certain amount of disdain if they ask questions yeah. and shame on them because yep. they should remember what it was like. And it doesn't matter if you've been doing this for 10 years or five minutes, you still come across those little bombs that get thrown in that you don't understand and we need to help each other. And it's a wonderful mm. community out there that you can ask a question and, you know, 10 or 12 people will jump on and give you an answer <laughs> and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. you still got to do your research, but at least you feel connected. And I think that for me was where the imposter syndrome came from because I was isolated. I knew my clients, I knew what I was doing, but I kept on feeling like, oh, am I really a bookkeep? Should I even be using that word with the fact that, I, I, and, and also, you know, I, I love ICB. They make me feel so um, edumacated and so special and part of the family. <laughs> but in the beginning, you go to one of the conferences and you go, okay, I didn't know any of that. And it's like all these bombs coming in at once and you're like, oh, God, I don't know all this stuff and I don't know it. And it can be a little bit intimidating. So, you know, I would say to anybody listening out there that we all have felt do feel, still feel this way. I mean, I was wrapping myself over the head going, stop feeling like you're an imposter just because you haven't done paid parental leave before. Yeah, just learn it and do it like you do with everything else. Over time, the bombs don't come so thick and fast. And if you talk about your processes with other people in that passionate, excited way that we do as bookkeepers because we're nerds and you talk (laughs) to other people about it and they talk about the same process that they do and you go, oh, hang on. I really respect that person and I'm kind of doing the same thing as them and isn't that great, then you feel less like an imposter because you find people out there that you know and respect and, and you know, this is where this this wonderful um, connectivity that we've had from Heather Smith's um, community chat that grew out yeah. of um, yep. what a wonderful yep. resource that was and yep. another opportunity to not feel so isolated. So I encourage everybody to be kind. Yeah. Um, Try not to, in the way that you impart knowledge, maybe not sound as though you know it all and maybe understand that the other person really does need your help and and you'll need their help one day too. So I think that's where the imposter syndrome comes from me as well. Yeah, and I think the the common thread in with imposter syndrome is, is the word doubt, isn't it? It's just that moment where you just doubt yourself. So, you know, I know I know that um, most of the listeners know that I've been in, on the journey for a long time now in our community, 25, nearly 30 years. I still doubt myself on a regular basis. I really do. Only yesterday, I mean, I referenced before a, a big seminar we ran here at our training centre where I'm, I'm speaking from right now, a big crowd. And I, I said to my PA, I've done it, I don't know, hundreds of times speaking in front of large audiences just before I got up I said to my PA why are these why do these people come to hear me speak why why are they here yeah. <laughs> and you know she just looked at me and went because they want to hear you you know they know they're going to get you know value from what you're about to deliver so that doubt stays whether for for many of us whether it's the first time or it's the 150th time and I'm I'm glad that you raised that um, and we're willing to to talk about that because I think you've probably encapsulated it in a way that so many of the listeners to this will go, yeah, we, we've never probably really acknowledged, but that's how we feel regularly as well. So mm-hmm. don't, don't don't feel diminished by that is what I'd say. Well, also think of it as an empowerment because 
The reason you have doubt is because you're going out there to seek answers and you're putting yourself out there to have weird and wonderful questions asked of you and you will do the right thing, you will do the research or you may choose not to to do the work, which is also a very good choice depending on where you're at. But see it as as a point of empowerment. If you didn't have those feelings of doubt, you'd make mistakes and you'd be arrogant and you'd go out there and go, oh, that's about right, that's fine, we'll just do it that way, it's kind of how it worked before, and you'll keep on making those mistakes. But it's those feelings of, of doubt and unpreparedness that put you on the path to make sure you're doing the right thing. So think of it as a strength, not a weakness. If you missed that uh, or only got parts of what Alexi just said, you know, the beauty of podcast is rewind now because that was absolute gold, what you just said there, Alexi. You just called, you just, you just called me out for exactly how, where I'm at. You know, the, the, the few times where I look back on moments where I have spoken publicly or whatever that didn't go well, I think they were the moments where I was, there was absolute arrogance and, and those sort of traits were inherent in what I delivered in those sessions, whereas the best ones, I think, have generally been when I've, I've literally walked on stage or in front of an audience like yesterday and have kind of almost felt unprepared and that's, that's so true, you know, and then it just flows naturally. Uh, I, I did 20 years of ballet. Uh, I was a ballet bunhead for many years. If anybody looks at <laughs> I, got, I, got pulled up, I got pulled up by my friend Deborah the other day because she says, what is it with you and photos? You're standing in first position every time. That's why. <laughs> so I was 20 years of ballet bunhead and when you go on stage and you're nervous, you're not taught to fear that. You're taught to recognise it as adrenaline. So maybe when we're nervous because of the imposter syndrome and we're feeling that way, that we should almost think that, well, this is like, you know, we're about to step onto stage and we need to prepare yeah. and we know that we've done our stuff and this is this is us leaning in, you know, we're, we're doing what we're ready to do and um, or when choosing not to, which is, again, a very good path. But maybe think, maybe all be ballerinas and just think of it as an adrenaline rush. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, I think the ballerinas, by the time they get on stage, are probably so keen to get out there having sat in the chair, having their head. But I've got a client who has got young kids who are going down that track and she tells me it takes hours to get the bun right or something. It's just like, and, you know, the judges or whatever, I don't think it's ballerina, but it's some sort of dancing of some sort and can't have one fly away or any type of hair it's out of place. It's not ballet, it's Irish dancing you're thinking of. That's right, is it? Crazy. Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, I can do a ballet bun with practically anybody's hair with my level yeah, of yeah. but... <laughs> Uh, even Hamish was doing a ballet bun by the end of the, the girl. <laughs> something you learn. It's another skill. <laughs> Here I am having spent my whole life trying to teach my kids how to do the bottom strap on the pads for when they walk out to bat at cricket. That's where I'm at. You know, doing a ballerina bun is way out of my scope, Alexi. Yeah. <laughs> I call it sports ball. Anything that describes it's sport, it's sports ball. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will. Um, let's move on. Um, there's a couple of other things that I'd love to examine about your journey and about your life. And if you if you are somebody who resonates with what Alexi's just said, especially about the imposter syndrome, you know, it, it's worth chatting to somebody else about it. That helps. It really does help. So, and feel free to reach out as part of the podcast responses that we get from time to time. So, I I love this. I, I posed, I did pose a, a couple of brief questions to Alexi in the lead up to, to us speaking today and I asked her, who would be the most influential person that 
has been in your life to date? And Alexi's answer is absolute gold. She put, no one really. I'm pretty much on my own path. Oh, I love that. I was like, yes, you go, girl, as, <laughs> as I read that. Do you want to give me a little bit of background or are you happy to just leave it at that? <laughs> well, I think it's just that if I had stayed a teacher or if I had remained <laughs> remained a bookkeeper, as, as many of you know, I'm, I'm moving on from that, um, sure, I would have sought out books or or biographies or pieces about inspiring people within that field or inspiring women. But because I've bounced around so much, it's it's more, well, I want to do that, so I'm going to do it. Not because someone's inspired me to do it, but I choose to do that. And it's not, it's just that, it's not that people don't inspire me um, or I don't find people amazing, but they haven't been influential in my journey. I, I'm the one who's made all those decisions and for good or for bad, and I'm the one who's got me to where I am now. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah, that I, well, I understand right. why people emulate others, but I don't. I mean, you know, look around. You can see the background. Those of you on a podcast can't, but <laughs> I don't have pictures. I suppose yep. if I did, it's like I do have a combination of three women that I try and be. It has to be a combination. So we've got Furiosa from Mad Max. Mm-hmm. We've got um, Sigourney Weaver's character in Working Girl. I know she's the evil <laughs> one. And we've got CJ from West Wing. So Right, yes. The, the characters, but they're not even real. Like they're not even real people. They're, they're characters from films. So <laughs> I'm trying to emulate a combination of a bunch of people and, uh, you know, if anything I should do the correct thing and say that it's my mum, but mm. that's because of her work ethic and because... Mm worked so hard and she had to battle through the bullshit that was the 80s mm-hmm. and the sexist genre in which environment in which she had to work and she yeah. worked so damn hard and so if anything I've just had that work ethic and that's yep. kept me driven not because I think of her yep. but that's because probably genetically that's what I got from her as well so yeah yeah there's so many things in what you just said that I'd love to unpack the time's not <laughs> going to allow us but um we don't get a political on heart of the bookkeeper but just quickly in in what you just said and um having lived through the 80s and been part of that um that male process that um saw women absolutely go through situations that are embarrassing to look back on now was there in, in a couple of words, was there enough in the recent budget to suggest that that's turning around? Oh, God, I've got to put my Cosboa hat on and... and, and <laughs> um, so we won't get too political, but generally do you think it's moving in the right direction or there's still plenty of space to go? No, it's not. not and that's just me putting... You know, that's my own opinion. Yeah. Um, I good, mean, good. in terms of numbers, um, the experts have said it's not enough. Um, it's it, I don't... I don't think it's a budget's responsibility. Mm. It's it's Mm. all leaders' responsibility. And for me, um, I get very emphatic about the men-women thing. It's not about men being the negative and women being the positive or or any of that. It's about just not allowing bullying to happen anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It needs to not be a women's issue. It needs to be a stop assholes from being bullies simple as that and that can be women and that can be men and that can be kids and that can be teenagers and we've just got to find a way to to stop that i don't think it's i don't 
But, you know, the, the issues around um, domestic violence are very women-centric. So, of course, there needs to be uh, an yeah. amount that's dedicated to that. And, and the inequality of, of the wage gap and the super gap, that's a major problem. Yeah. And an aging population with a majority female population, those are more specific things. But just calling it a women's issue, yeah. it's not. It's, it's let's stop the bullies. Yeah, and I loved what you said before. I mean, to, to even suggest that the, and there's certainly been plenty of commentary to suggest that many think that the budget was trying to address that. The budget isn't the place to do that. It's it, You're absolutely spot on. Um, it's you and I. It's, yeah, that's right. We make the difference. Yeah, it's calling out mm. poor behaviour. It's calling out bullying. It's yep. empowering your yep. kids to call it out when they're in the classroom. It's you know, it's stopping the, the the trade union guy from bullying a small business um, by saying we're not going to deliver to your shop anymore because you're not paying your workers triple time on a Sunday. It's that behaviour and it happens all over yep. the place. And it's just calling it out and just going, um, no, I don't accept that. That's not acceptable and stop behaving that way. Oh, if only it could be that simple. So much more conversation has to be had for such a long journey ahead to get yeah. that, that one right. Um, there is no fix overnight, sadly, for that one. And certainly our budget's not going to fix it overnight, that's for sure. So let's keep going. Um, I promise we wouldn't get too political. But having <laughs> said that, and you've already referenced it, and this I'm, I'm really keen to, you know, uh, hear a little uh, bit more about this, and I know the listeners would do too. You said a moment ago that most would know that you are moving on, but I don't reckon most would do. Um and, and my my take on, on what you've told me so far is you're not moving on from the, the community as such. You're just sort of repositioning yourself because of uh, an opportunity that's arisen. And the opportunity, if you weren't aware as a listener, is that Alexi's just been named as the interim CEO of COSBOA. And when I read that, I, I actually came across it in LinkedIn of all places. Um, I just, I literally stood to my feet and applauded. I was that <laughs> excited for Alexi. So uh, I gave you a standing ovation, Alexi, and you didn't even know about it. So there you go. <laughs> That's um, very kind. Thank you. So first of all, can you tell, explain to the listeners what is COSBOA? You know, they hopefully should know, but maybe there's a few out there going, you know, there's another one of those acronyms. And, and what, what is about to unfold for you in this role? Uh, so COSBOA is the Council of Small Business Organisations Australia and it basically represents, um, we have approximately 40 member organisations including ICB as one of our members mm -hmm. and people like the Professional Hairdressers Association, um, Credit Brokers Association, a whole gamut, the Meat Packers Association and through that um, we represent over a million small businesses in Australia through their membership networks. So the role of CEO um, is to be the operational head of that organisation. So it basically means being the, the face of, of the group. Um, the, it's the peak body for small business representation in Canberra. So when any policy decision is made, we make sure that small business is a part of that policy. And what I'm learning very quickly is that small business is basically in every policy that goes on in, in, in Canberra and we need to be. So it's about um, building those relationships, working with other advocacy and advocacy groups, working with regulators like the ATO, like ASIC, ACCC, um, the Australian Banking Association to make sure they understand what it means to run a small business in Australia right now. Mm. Um, they understand the hurdles that are created through 
bad regulation and poor regulation um, and how to fix those and basically trying to keep small business front of mind like all advocacy groups do when they have a particular yeah. cause. Um, yep. So it's... Um, it's what's interesting. I found I've been shadowing the wonderful Peter Strong, who's been a mm-hmm. fantastic mentor, and he's guiding me through the process. Yeah. But what's really yeah. empowering is that there is so much of my work as a bass agent bookkeeper that I am bringing all that experience, those conversations, those weird and wonderful things that they don't understand, the weird and wonderful things that we as bookkeepers need to try and figure out on our clients' behalf everything packaged up neatly in a bow um, has has delivered me a whole lot of knowledge that I couldn't have even realised. And then coupled with Small Biz Matters, which has given me the connections, yeah. um, you know, the notoriety, the journalistic experience to be able to deal with the drum, ABC yep. Radio National, all these things yeah. that are in front of me. But none of that None of that really frightens me because I feel empowered by those previous experiences. And it was interesting what we were saying before about about imposter syndrome and of all the times in my life, (laughs) of all the career changes I've had, this is probably the one where I (laughs) could feel, um, Mm. not good, but most likely to feel like it's an imposter syndrome situation and I don't. Mm. It's, It's almost like I'm sitting here logically waiting for that to hit me and it doesn't. Because, like I was saying before, we're all this paper mache creature of all of our lived experiences. And for me, this is a step I was looking forward to doing within the next three to five years. It was my plan. <laughs> I just didn't it expect it to my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> like so many things during COVID, it's just been fast-tracked, hasn't it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's really pleasing when the work that you do, particularly the unpaid work and the work that you do for your clients and the hours we spend on the phone to them has meaning for me um, yeah. uh, beyond what it is that I'm doing for one person. And and I don't know, at the risk of harping on about the bookkeeping thing, I think all of us need to recognise that we are advocates as, as, mm. as agent bookkeepers, that we really advocate for our clients at every step of the way, whether it be with a regulator or be with a supplier or be with a, a one of their clients who's not paying them fast enough. And we do that every day. Um, yeah. So it feels to me like a natural progression to just happen to do that on the national stage. I, I really need another hour or two to, to go through the journey, the journey ahead for you. But you are just at that start, yeah, the journey ahead. So I'm tipping a, a heart of the bookkeeper in uh, six months to get you back, hopefully to give you, give us a bit of a lens on um, or a bit of a, a journey on where you've been because it's just at the start. So it's unfair for me to push you too hard on that because you're just literally putting your, your bottom on the seat right now. So we're looking forward to being part of that. Can I recommend to our regular listeners and to those even outside of Australia, you know, jump on and have a look at Cosboa's website. There's um, plenty for you to engage with on that. And um, it's all about policy and people. Like it's really, it's yeah. really, this is the policy. This is the stuff which really will make change happen. And and um, keeping an eye on that is is really good for you to know. And that's the politics of it. It's not the politics politics. It's no, about keeping no. us front of mind. That's the only politics yeah. aspect to it. And I had no um, idea, um, you may not even know this about me, Alexi, but some of the listeners do, I own a barber shop, so I wasn't even aware the Hairdressing Association was uh, d- as deeply ingrained as what you've just referenced. So I'm really pleased about that because if 
I've got to say, just quietly, the bookkeeping community and uh, loosely we call it industry has nowhere near the issues that the hairdressing fraternity has right now. They, we've got some real issues around. Which, well, just as simple as we can't find any staff. We just yeah. cannot get staff your, anywhere at the moment. Your leader yeah. is a powerful female who is yes. a rising force for your organisation. Thank goodness for that. And yeah. you know, anybody out there who's listening and isn't uh, happens to not be. Um, uh, a bookkeeper or part of ICB, um, ask your association why don't you have a voice yeah. um, in Parliament in Canberra yeah. for our policymakers? Because if you stand up and you get you get that organisation to move with that opportunity, it's really powerful. And then you know, join the other millions of businesses that have got a voice. Yeah. Yeah, that is great. Now, unfortunately, time is coming to an end and the regular listeners know we have a little session right at the end of each um, episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper, which I have coined debits and credits. Um, (laughs) Oh, now I'm confused already. (laughs) (laughs) So four rapid questions to which you can give rapid answers or you can expand. It's up to you. That's the the way this uh, particular podcast strokes. Okay, I'm ready. So we're going to go, look at this. This is, you talk about geeks when it comes to bookkeepers. I know the listeners can't see this, but look, I even draw it up as a, a tea ledger. So there you go. How sad is that? Yeah, well, I'm going to need so, to go back and refresh the screen so I can make sure your tea ledger's round the right way because that's what I do every well, time. We've got it. We've got to get this um, to balance. We know the rules of debits and credits. So we always start with a debit. That's the, the first line, as all good bookkeepers know. This is a big question, but I'm looking for a very short answer if I can. If you need to expand, you, need to, you don't do short answers. So, okay, holistically, generically, blue sky, whatever term you want to use, what is the number one issue currently facing small business in Australia? And if you had a magic wand, which you kind of are nearly starting to have in your hand, Alexi Boyd, <laughs> how could you wave it and fix it? Um, Big question that. The, the debits are always the hard ones because that's, that's, the, that's the difficult line. You started with a doozy. <laughs> um, I would say employment, finding the right people, not keeping the right people, but finding the right people um, yeah. and also interact in, inter, interacting with that is um, vocational education and training and making sure that the people who are coming into an industry or coming into your business are properly qualified, properly trained, know their stuff and are open to being trained and are nice people. Yeah. I did not script Alexi Boyd. That is absolutely my number one as well. And that's because I'm obviously experiencing some of that through uh, a bizarre world I'm outside of called hairdressing that I know nothing about. And But I'm just observing how difficult that is in that industry at the moment and, and in so many others that I consult to around uh, the Southwest WA. So great. We, well, I won't push you on how to fix that because that is a broad stroke sort of thing to try and wrap, wrap around. We might, we'll ask you that one again in six months time maybe. But um, okay, so we go to the credit line now. Debits are pretty serious. Credits, I don't know why, but I always reckon credits are just the fun side of the ledger. It's bizarre, but it's just, ah, they're just a little bit of fun. So I'm going to ask a question that those who tuned into episode five heard me ask Mel Power. Her answer just left me stunned and amazed. It's a question, as I described in the last episode, this divides nations, Alexi Boyd. The question is simply, 
is there any place for pineapple on a pizza or not? I think it's harder than your first question. <laughs> That's what Mel Power came back with. She, her answer was, it depends on the eater, I think it was. So, you know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it now. I mean, I can't understand why you wouldn't have pineapple on a pizza. It just makes I don't like, like it. Yeah, you, so you're a fan? I'm a fan. Right. I'm a fan, yeah. Yeah. But I understand those who pick it off. So it's a very diplomatic answer. Oh, it is. There are yeah. people who have, you know, there's been families that have separated over this question. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, so you and I are on board. Definitely pineapple on a pizza. There you go. Okay, we asked the question earlier about the budget in relation to, to, to women's matters and, and we've clearly talked about that. Was there any one point out of the budget outside of that that sort of, um, you know, from a, a Cosbo point of view was a good result? Oh, look, overall Cosbo gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Right. It would have been higher if um, when they gave the company tax rate, which we all knew was going to be cut anyway, if there was consideration for sole traders. I don't think necessarily that there wasn't a consideration, but it's more that the government continues to not recognise sole traders as being businesses. It's always that yep. incorporated entity that they're thinking about in their numbers. Um, yep. So that's something else that I think was amiss. Um, I, I thought the opportunities for innovation was very narrow to only be, you know, targeting medical devices. Patent, the patents were very narrow or just for distilleries and beer makers. It, it just seemed very targeted approach, an overly targeted approach. And obviously funding has a lot to do with that, but it seemed to me as um, just a bit narrow in its scope. If we want to be the innovation capital of the world, which we're pretty far behind places like San Francisco and Israel, if we want to be that, um, mm. there wasn't really any kickstart to get that happening. Now, that's happening in other ways. There's some wonderful projects that are going to be announced um, that, are, that are targeted, but in terms of the budget, it, it wasn't an innovation budget. It wasn't a science budget, sadly, it wasn't an environment budget. It was an aged care budget. Uh, mm -hmm. Aged care people are saying that there wasn't enough there um, and it was an infrastructure budget, but a lot of those things had already been tabled already. So it, I, I just felt that it was um, it was safe. It was safe. Right. Yeah, it had some shiny right. bits to it, but, yeah, I, I wasn't overly inspired. I mean, I was I was in the budget lockup, which was a fascinating experience. That was awesome. <laughs> um, but I was reading through it, going meh. So you know, it, but then again, we just had the JobKeeper budget, which yeah uh, was massive. Yeah, um, for for business. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts. I mean, I, you know. I think I think what you've just said seems to be across the board the reaction. So we won't put any more focus on the budget. Let's finish on. We've got we've, we've got to balance the ledger out. So we've got um, the last credit. Okay. So we started this um, episode by talking about your wonderful, wonderful podcast, Small Biz Matters, and uh, I'll plug it again. Make sure if you haven't tuned in, go and and click subscribe. Other than Small Biz Matters and Heart of the Bookkeeper. Okay, putting those two aside, what other podcast does Alexi Boyd have buzzing around in her ears at the moment that you'd like to give a, a shout out for? Well, can I do four? <laughs> we can go with four. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly. Yeah. Um, one of them is um, Bits, uh, which is put out by my friend uh, Seamus Byrne, who is uh, an expert 
at, he's actually a journalist in the IT space. And so BITS, that's what it's called, B-I-T-S. BITS, and it's five right. minutes every morning of what's going on in the tech space. Right. And it's awesome. So if you've got tech clients and you just want to tap into that, five minutes every morning, it's called BITS. Um, BITS, I also, right. BITS uh, Daily Tech News Bulletin. I'm also a massive fan of this American life because Americans are just so weird. So this American life, I'm writing these down because I'm, I'm going to tune in. That's been around decades. Um, New one on me. I also just finished listening to Deep Cover, um, which Deep was, cover. it goes back and talks about uh, an FBI agent during the 1980s um, in undercover with a bikey gang and in the drug cartel. Right. Really interesting. And then yep. um, this, is the, this is the podcast I started with, which even including my own and yours, Rob, I have still <laughs> never heard anything that comes close to this and I'm just desperate to make something along the same lines, but it's called S-Town. It's made by Serial, which is a branch of This American Life, S-Town. S-Town. Am I allowed to swear, Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Um, yeah, within, within, uh, well, well, put it this way. Um, my, my son, Nat Marshall will probably, uh, de- deem it, um, swearable or editable maybe. Well, I don't know. S is the first letter of the word and that's okay. the word I shouldn't say. Right. Yes. Honestly, I have, um, never come across anything quite like it. I was walking the dog and I'd just stop in the middle of it and I'd just go or I'd be crying or something. Right. And, oh, well, I'm on it then. It's yep. phenomenal. So that, that's my, my top four. <laughs> there you go. So, okay, I'm going to um, announce Alexi Boyd as being uh, the queen of all things podcasts. So if you haven't listened to Bits, This American Life, Deep Cover or S-Town, but make sure you listen to them after you've listened to episode six of Heart of the Bookkeeper, um, you are... Uh, possibly deemed to be somewhat um, foolish. So uh, you, you need to tap into the experience that Alexi has. Alexi Boyd, this has been an absolute pleasure, an absolute pleasure. I've loved every second of this time. I wish we could have more time and we may arrange that later on down the track. But on behalf of the bookkeeping community, we want to wish you all the very, very best with your um position as uh, interim CEO of COSBOA and uh, I know that many of us will be watching along and, uh, and, and tuning in to Small Biz Matters and I'm sure that um, there'll be some revelations that come out of that as well. Thank you, Alexi, and um, we wish you well on your journey ahead. Thanks, Rob. It's been an absolute delight. I am so enriched by the time that we've had with Alexi Boyd today and I hope you have found some sort of encouragement and some sort of joy out of today's podcast and we want to thank Alexi for the wonderful way that she has shared with us. We wish Alexi, as we do with all our guests, all the very best for her future and we look forward to, with anticipation, her role as interim CEO of COSBOA and also tuning in regularly to her wonderful podcast, Small Biz Matters. And we hope you'll continue to tune into Heart of the Bookkeeper as we move into episode seven. Stay tuned. It's not far away. And we look forward to you joining us on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Stay safe and stay well. And we love your heart. <laughs>